Tune in and cry it out with me, DJ Susie. Righty, righty, righty. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and members of the jury. You are about to start listening to Sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn. I am Jan Luca. I will be sitting with you till 7 p.m. I want to thank It Gets Weird. I enjoyed that playlist. That was great fun. Uh, uh, um, I have to say, though, I'm not lost and rewound. <laughs> but I like Lost and Rewound, so I don't mind being introduced as Lost and Rewound. One minute, one bit, because here at Radio Free Brooklyn, we're all pals, because it's community radio, yay! Anyway, today, happy May Day, by the way, ladies and gentlemen and members of the jury. Uh, It's an important day, really. Uh, When we get to lie in on Sunday, um, it is because of May Day, really. When we get to... uh, Get overtime because uh, we have clocked in over 40 hours in a seven-day period is because of May Day. So uh, it is a good to acknowledge today. It's the one holiday that I do acknowledge. And uh, it's funny when people uh, bash on about socialism and how awful it is and how we're all going to be dressed as Chairman Mao. I always bring that up. I said... uh, Yeah, well, uh, you know, we've all benefited from uh, socialism, really. If you've ever had, uh, if you've listened to Billy Joel, he came from Levittown, didn't he? Which was government-subsidized housing estate. Uh, And again, as I said before, if we uh, get overtime for 40-hour weeks and anything over, then it's because of the slightly left-leaning people in the political spectrum anyway i will leave it at that today is uh 603 and 25 seconds and i got a whole ton of really really cool music to play it is last week thank you by the way for those who emailed me sitting with at uh radiofreebrooklyn.org um and uh, i also through instagram uh what is it sitting with gt uh contact me through instagram and just thank you for thanking me really um i had jim flim on we're talking about uh new orleans and uh, and his book he was down there i wrote the intro to the book in full disclosure but this today is uh, or this week rather is a 50th anniversary of the new orleans jazz and heritage festival otherwise known as Jazz Fest. I've been to about 20-something of them, going way back to the early 90s. And uh, I it's two weekends, and this Wednesday, everyone's taking a breather, recovering from last weekend, and gearing up for tomorrow when it starts all over again. So I wanted to not have a guest today, but I wanted to really just play records and talk about why New Orleans... I'm going to uh, say it and then I'm going to explore this with you. So uh, so bear with me. All black urban music has its roots in New Orleans. All right. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to explain it over the next 50 something minutes. So bear with me. Uh, 
in the meantime, before, I just want to warm up with, because uh, it's an important birthday today, Little Walter, Harmonica Supremo, would have been... Oh, I, I hate I hate this part because I can't do maths. Well, he was born in 1930, so he would have been uh, 70, 88, right? Um, yes, 88. 80 or 89. Anyway, uh, 89 perhaps. But anyway, Little Walter, great harmonica player. He is talked about, he had revolutionized the harmonica uh, the way that, say, Charlie Parker revolutionized the saxophone or Jimi Hendrix revolutionized the electric guitar. Uh, so I'm going to uh, just do a quick tribute to him and then we're going to get funky in New Orleans. And so here's Little Walter before and after. Here's Little Walter um, because he amplified the harmonica. So I'm going to play a track with by Little Walter playing harmonica the way it was played before he turned it upside down and round to front. So long, buddy, we should have saw this too That was Booker White giving you his interpretation of the blues from the South. Right now we're going to move north. All the way to Chicago, Illinois. I bring you a gentleman by the name of Little Walter. Yeah, you see, that's Little Walter. I'm going to carry on playing some Little Walter. It kind of ties in nicely with New Orleans because Little Walter came from Louisiana, as a matter of fact. So uh, there you go. Although blues, I hasten to add, is not black urban music. It's rural music. Aha. Uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, uh, uh, Little Walter was from out in the sticks in Louisiana. Country boy. Beat his way to Chicago as a 15-year-old. And uh, Muddy Waters picked him up. Well, he played along Maxwell Street for a long time, uh, kicking around, uh, uh, ripping and running and all of this. And eventually, Muddy Water picked him up. And uh, then little Walter uh, left Muddy Water, Waters, and he started, he did this. And this is the track that revolutionized the harmonic.
happy birthday, little Walter. Absolute the master of the Mississippi saxophone there. He died in, uh, you know, he was, he died at 37 uh, because a lifetime of, uh, ah, he was a rambunctious little tyke. He, he, he was always getting into fights. He drank and smoked like a fiend and he was always having a scrap, always. And what happened was he uh, got into a big one um, in between sets at a place he was playing on the south side of Chicago and he died, he he got injured, not as bad as previous scraps, but it was one too many. So he uh, died at a girlfriend's place in, uh, in uh, there you go, the next day. So uh, sad one there. But anyway, happy birthday, little Walter from Louisiana. And just coincidentally, that is where we're going to spend the next uh, the next hour, the next 50, 48, 50 minutes um, or thereof, because... New Orleans, or New Orleans, to give it its correct pronunciation, um, all black urban music, if you follow it back, comes, has its roots in New Orleans. Now, I know that hip-hop and rap and other things do not, weren't born in New Orleans. I know house music wasn't born in New Orleans. But if you follow it back through the lineage which goes through disco and funk. You land in New Orleans. Jazz, R&B, funk come from New Orleans. Memphis had stuff too, I know, but a little bit later, Memphis had Ike Turner that was tearing it up and other bands that were tearing it up. But they were, but New Orleans was just a few years beforehand. How many years? About five or six, probably. Um, Well, five or six, exactly. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you why. What happened was before the war, the World War Two, right? There were all these big swing orchestras like uh, uh, Duke Ellington and Count Basie. And uh, they were tearing it up. Louis Jordan was tearing it up. They were ripping it up all over the place. It was jump and jive, right? And then the war happens. A lot of the men went off to fight. And... Plus, there was no money, so no one could afford big orchestras. So the wartime years, everyone stopped dancing, basically. Uh, the coolest stuff was jazz, and that was bebop. That's when Charlie Parker and, and Miles Davis and all those people started doing, and Dizzy started, Dizzy Gillespie started doing their bebop, right, which was sit-down music, great music, but sit-down music. Then you had sort of on the whiter end of the spectrum, you had sort of Doris Day and how much is that a top doggy in the window. And uh, Well, she was a little bit later, but you had the Andrews sisters and those wartime vocal groups singing lovely saccharine, uh, smooth ballads. And I'm going to play one and uh, oh, a little bit of one. I'm not putting it down. I actually quite like some of these ballads. These are lovely records. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying that in the war years, in the war years and after, this is what you heard. People like Vaughan Monroe and his orchestra. Let's see if I can get this on. You know the drill. I get make mistakes all the time. But you heard uh, uh, nice ballads, sweet things that could make you sit down and have a nice time. Here's Vince Vaughn doing just like, seems like old times. Seems like old times Having you to walk with Seems like old times Having you to talk with And it's still a 
winter dates and flowers seems like old times. Staying up for hours, making dreams come true, doing things we used to do seems like See what I'm talking about? It's sweet, right? It's nice. Sit down. It's very, very world war. This is the type of things that were going on. It was nice, feel good, kind of like those uh, Sunday afternoon television, family television, right? Very, very sweet. So in New Orleans, however, um, they New Orleans uh, has a very long and big parade tradition. And if I wanted to get geeky, geek alert very, very quickly, um, during the uh, nasty slavery days, New Orleans was the only place where the slaves were allowed to play drums. So all these rhythms from Africa stayed in New Orleans. They came to life in parades and funerals and all of this. And uh, so New Orleans always had a sense of rhythm, always had the drum, right, right, uninterrupted through from the old country, right? So they just had this sense of rhythm. New Orleanian would never play <laughs> <laughs> would never play stuff like this. It's just not in his DNA. So what happened? An Italian immigrant called uh, Cosimo Matassa owned a little, um, uh, owned an appliance store, and he was a, a chemistry dro- school dropout actually. And he owned a little appliance store. His dad did, and in the back of it, he sent he set up a little tiny little record recording studio direct to disc, which means you sing into a trumpet and a needle bashes like drills, <laughs> drills uh, pins in a, in a piece of shellac is what it was at the time. So, um, and you would go in and uh, uh, you would go in and you would uh, do a little novelty song, like uh, a little happy birthday thing for your mum, which is what Elvis did. But Elvis did it about 10 years later. I'm talking about, after the war, 1940, he opened it in 1946. So he had this little thing. Now, a preacher, a, a, a gospel singer called Roy Brown comes in right out of the blue and he sings a song all about screwing and is about screwing. There's a black man in the segregated South and it's very well known. Elvis covered it. Everyone has covered it. And here it is. This was a shotgun in 1947. This was a shotgun that started a new revolution. Oh, I like this version. Ah, I kind of want to leave it on. <laughs> well, I've let the cat out of the bag. I'm actually going to play the original version that was made to Shellac in 1940. Oh, this is great, though. In 1947 instead. Ooh, here it is. This is how it is. 1947, folks. Well, I'm gonna hold my baby as tight as I can 
Imagine how, whoa, what's that? <laughs> imagine how scandalous, imagine how scandalous that was at the time, right? Segregated South, black man walks, listen to that rhythm. It, it sounds maybe a little bit tweet today because this is that post-Metallica, right? We're used to loud bangs. But at the time, this was an explosion. When he's saying, uh, uh, tonight I'll show you what a mighty, mighty man, right? He's not talking about his shoulders, you know, he's taking this woman, he's slamming him against the wall, slamming her against the wall in the back alley and giving her one, right? That's what he's talking about. The church went bananas. Uh, uh, they uh, they had flyers all over the New Orleans, um, all over New Orleans saying not to buy Negro records. Yeah, that's what they did. So it caused an instant generation cat. We tend to think punk was subversive, but holy Moses, this Totally blew the hinges off. And then Fats Domino walked in and he came out with this.
that's what I'm talking about. So that's Fats Domino, 1949. 1940, Elvis still had not even walked into the recording studio by this point. So uh, you hear that heavy thumping. Uh, you can imagine the distortion. That thing's washed in distortion. The needles are slamming into the red, right? So that's kind of even proto-rock and roll, proto-punk, if you like, right? It's just like completely primal and raw. So uh, anyway, that was what was going on in the back room of Cosimo Matassa's uh, appliance shop. Uh, artists would walk past uh, refrigerators and waffle irons right into that little back room, and uh, there'd be a studio band there, right? It was the first ever studio band. You think of the Motown Records having a studio band. You think of Stax having a studio band with uh, Booker T and the MGs. And uh, you hear of the LA studio bands like um, the Wrecking Crew. And you think they sort of invented all those things. But in the mid-40s, there was already a studio band that just sat there. And whoever walked in, they called out a key. And bosh, three minutes later, they had a record. Because it was going direct to disc. Anyway, just so happens that I caught up with one of them years ago. Um, uh, if you go into, I spent quite a lot of, lot of years in the pre-Katrina years writing about this sort of thing. Um, if you want to go to Offbeat. Uh, it's Offbeat Magazine. I did a long uh, story where I talked to Dr. John and Alan Tucson and all this about this very thing. And uh, it's uh, Offbeat magazine it's a new orleans publication it's a long feature it's three or four pages long and it's probably from about 2009 although i did the interviews many years beforehand and i think it's called house of rock something like that house of rock look that one up and uh, anyway so um i went over ernest mclean played guitar was a member of the studio band and uh, he then moved to California. He did some sessions in California too. But really, he was just happy uh, playing uh, guitar in Disney World because he got a steady paycheck. <laughs> he was a jazz player, really. Anyway, uh, artists would just go in and three minutes later they had a record. And here's Ernest McLean. He's long since passed away, sadly. But he here he is uh, as an older man telling me about those days and about what, what the challenges were. The challenges were not playing the music because it was only three chords. Challenges with something altogether different. Oh, can't get it up. Oh, <laughs> well, that was a slip. Ah, oh, yes, no, because it's a wrong file. So it's a wrong file, sadly. But you know what? I'm going to play something else from that period. Teaching and Preaching by the Royal Kings.
41 and a quarter. Sometime, uh, sometime I would like put down different notes for the horns to play. And uh, Dave Matholomew would give me 8250. 80 I would get leaders, it would be double for me, 8250, because I, I do the horn charts. And sometime I didn't I wouldn't write that stuff down, or I would just tell the horns what, to, what notes to play. Because there wasn't no music on paper or nothing like that. The, the tunes wasn't that complicated to play. It was just a 12-bar blues, yeah. that's 12-bar blues or 12-bar blues. You don't learn that stuff, you just play it. What really was the biggest part uh, um, the whole thing, it was uh, to, to get to uh, make sure that you timed the thing right. Because doing everything on this wasn't no tape. You couldn't do anything over three minutes otherwise that this, the thing won't run, run out before the arrangement's over. That that was that was the biggest problem. We had to we had to play it and time it. Somebody was looking at a watch. If it wasn't Dave, it was Kakai. Some one of us had to look at it. If you wanted a, a slow, good slow tempo, you, you you could you had to you had to, you have to cut something something out. I mean, you have to, instead of doing three choruses, you have to do two or two and a half. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, you know, in order to do two and a half, you would do two choruses, and then you would go go back to the middle of the song, and 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 take it out from there. When we're doing a we're doing two choruses. That means we can't do but a, 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 two choruses too much, so we have to do a chorus and a half. And if there's a thing like you go to the bridge. Okay, do one chorus and go back to the bridge and take it out. That was the biggest thing, getting the time right. Because if you go over three three minutes, that that needle will come go to the middle and it cuts off. And you make sure you get the tempo right and everything. So when you record on the disc, because we're doing everything on, 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 on disc. Play one and a half chorus and take it out. And, th- and that was the most complicated part. I go, I go, I go, I go, Hyundai. Giacomo Filo, Hyundai. Giacomo Finane. Oh, my spy boy, man, your spy boy, selling by the bio. My spy boy, I do the your spy boy. I'm gonna set your flag on fire. Talking about head now, head now. Heiko, Heiko, Hande. Giacomo, Filo, Hande. Giacomo, Finane. Oh, look at my queen all dressed in red. Heiko, Heiko, Hande. I bet you five dollars she'll kill you dead. Giacomo, Finane. Talking about head now. Hyco Hyco Hyundai, Giacomo Filo 
Sugar Boy Crawford, Ico Ico, and that is a Mardi Gras Indian tune. By the way, if you have just tuned in, <laughs> you're listening to Sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Jan Luca. I will be sitting with you till 7 p.m. today, this May Day, and I am doing a salute because it is New Orleans. Jazz Fest going on. Uh, well, it, the second weekend starts tomorrow, Thursday, and because uh, uh, it's ten days long, and it is the fiftieth. And I'm wishing, uh, I'm using this as an excuse to play New Orleans music and to state my case that all black urban music comes from New Orleans. I'm going to elucidate that a little bit more clear after this. Uh, but also, I have to remind you, don't I? You know what comes next. <laughs> We're a community station. We do this for nothing. We are dependent on people like you, the listener, um, to uh, drop a couple of shillings in the hat and send it our way if you have them. Uh, nothing too small, nothing too big either. We're community-based, so we have uh, kids' programs uh, that we get, uh, teach um, teach teenagers uh, media literacy and how to do these things. Uh, Sam from Teens Take the Mic, as a matter of fact, is coming on at 7 p.m. She is one of the uh, Radio Free Brooklyn teenagers that does this wonderfully. So uh, on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com or .org, there's a whole bunch of numbers and fandangles that you can click. Also, it's a uh, 501c3, something like that. So you get your money back from the tax man and uh, we can carry on bringing you great cool sounds like what we are hearing now. New Orleans, New Orleans. So I say... Black urban, all black urban music, if you follow it back. And I, I'm not saying blues because blues is rural. So from jazz, jazz R&B, I'm playing you the first ever R&B that was ever recorded. It goes back, comes back to New Orleans. Uh, so I'm uh, going to, oh, so Sugar Boy Crawford, Aiko Aiko, right? Yakamo Finae is a Mardi Gras Indian chant. And Mardi Gras Indian chants, that is a, um, uh, a tradition that's been happening in New Orleans since the 1800s, right? Well, possibly before, but we we weren't really there, so we don't know. But first recordings is back in the 1800s. Supposedly, black slaves uh, had escaped and were um, uh, were hidden away um, on Indian uh, reservations and in Indian villages, um, and then came back uh, and and w- with a different type of music. So anyway, but it's funky, funky, funky. So that that's the story behind it. True or not, no one really knows. But uh, I'm going to play some Mardi Gras Indian tunes um, from the Wild Chapatulas. This is uh, not quite from Cosmo Matassa's J&M Studios, but it's a little bit later. I think it was recorded in his third studio in the 70s in Camp Street, actually. So it kind of is. But anyway, <laughs> it's got the meters playing Bunk on it. Uh, here's Mardi Gras Indian uh, chant. Uh, Big Chief got cold and crowned. 
the wild chapatulas Cootie Fire, yo. 
That is a wild chapatulas with the meters back in them, actually, from a 70s album produced actually by Quint Davis, who produces Jazz Fest. So, uh, so yeah. Um, anyway, those rhythms are old in New Orleans. All those cool, funky, syncopated rhythms are like 200 years old in New Orleans. They were doing that like 200 years ago, right? It's a new recording, this new, well, from the 70s. But those rhythms are from 200 years ago. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to Sitting with Jan Luca here at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. I am Jan Luca. I'll be sitting with you till seven. I am making the case that all black urban music comes from New Orleans. If you want to fight me over it <laughs> and you want to pick an argument or congratulate me, you can do so. Sitting with at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or Instagram is um, sitting with GT is my Instagram. And uh, so if you just listen to that big chief, right, they come from the Mardi Gras Indian traditions where they shake tambourines and they parade down Mardi Gras. They spend a whole year making their beautiful feather suits that they only wear for that one day. And in the old days, they had a spy boy that led the pack, red, led, they called it the tribe. They really, they were street gangs, led the tribe Checking out for other ba- uh, 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 other crews because if there was another crew, they'd get into a rumble. They'd start fighting and stabbing each other and all sorts of stuff like that. That's what that's about. The Big Chief was kind of the guy. They had a Big Chief, which was a Big Chief, and then they had the Spy Boy, which would run up checking out that there were no other gangs coming down the street. And then they had the Flag Boy. They had a whole, a whole old posse with them. So um, anyway, that's Mardi Gras Indians. And you, if you hear hip-hop or anything like that, you can hear those rhythms, right? Anyway, there you go. I'm going to allow uh, leap back in time and then forward in time. Um, uh, I'm going to get again from the Cosimo Matassa's J&M Studio Mark One, where um, um, I'm going to play a really cool civil rights song long before the civil rights movement, though, because it's from the early 50s. And it's Dave Bartholomew singing a really freaking amazing song. Listen to the words really carefully. He's talking about equality. Then I'm going to um, play Dr. John talking to me about the first time he went into that studio in his fifth, in, 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 when he was a little boy. It would have been around this time, early 50s. And then I'm going to play um, Dr. John singing um, a Mardi Gras Indian chant uh, uh, called Big Chief about, well, the Big Chief, what I've just been uh, uh, playing. So uh, what did I say? I was Oh, yeah, Dave Bartholomew from the early 60s. He produced all the Fats Domino stuff, most of his stuff. Anyway, and a whole ton of stuff out of J&M Records. So here is an amazing song. Listen carefully to, to the words. Oh, what's playing in the background? Listen carefully. <laughs> Listen carefully to the words. It's called The Monkey, and it's chip. Yeah. The monkey speaks his mind. in a coconut tree discussing things as they are said to be said one to the other now listen you two there's a certain rumor that can't be true that man descended from our noble race the very idea is a big disgrace no monkey ever deserted his wife starved her baby and ruin her life, yeah. The monkey speaks his mind. And you never known a mother monk to leave the babies with others to bump. A 
pass them on from one to another till they scarcely knew who was their mother. Yeah. The monkey speaks his mind. And another thing you will never see a monkey build a fence around a coconut tree and let other coconuts go to waste. Forbidding all other monkeys to come and taste. Why, if I put a fence around this tree, starvation would force you to steal from me. Yeah, the monkey speaks his mind. Here's another thing a monkey won't do go out at night and get on a stew. I use a gun. A club or knife to take another monkey's life. Yes, man descended the weightless bum, but brothers, from us he did not come. Yeah, the monkey speaks his mind. Daddy brought me by the studio when he wanted to do Maine and Rampart. When I was a little kid, you know, and uh, I can tell you, every musician was there. I remember David Thalmy was producing a session. But I, I, I remember that, man. It was, it was like, never was a little kid, never saw a recording studio before. But I remember I was in the control room, and David Thalmy and his son, like read and heard it played and, uh, and right at the end of the song Dave Tommy leaned over and played the last note with the two saxes and made a nice fat ending chord not that I knew what that was then but now I know Me, bitchy, me got my food. Drink my 
singing about the Mardi Gras Indian tradition there and Big Chief. And uh, preceding that was the great Dr. John, a.k.a. Matt Rebenack, uh telling me yours truly all about the very first time as a little kid, because his dad used to sell um, records and jukeboxes and stuff. So he had a, a, a kind of friendly relationship with Johnny Matassa, and he took his little son, Mac, uh, to the recording studio once when he was visiting Cos. So that was Dr. John reminiscing about the first time ever he was in a recording studio, possibly an experience that changed his life and made him want to become a musician to begin with. Um, Another person uh, who went on to change music as well and uh, in the disco world, R&B world and many, many other worlds was a great Alan Toussaint. And uh, Alan Toussaint told me yours truly all about um, coming into uh, uh, Cosimo Matassa's studio as well. And I'm going to play Alan Toussaint telling yours truly myself about this and then I'm going to follow it up with one of Alan Toussaint's biggest hits. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you'll be surprised. Or maybe you won't be surprised, but you'll know it. It also has the Meters, George Porter Jr. on bass. And I think the whole Meters band actually pa- backing Patti LaBelle. Oh, I've just let the cat out the bag, but maybe not. So here's Alan Toussaint telling me about Cosimo Matassa and J&M Records. He went to audition. Oh, hang on. I do this so that you know, I do this so that you know it is live radio. Because I don't want you to think that this is a pre-record uh, with, uh, if I do this too smoothly. But let's try this again. Here's Alan Toussaint telling me about going to visit J&M Records. Snook Ziglin was our guitarist. And he went to audition a song for Dave Bartholomew. And that's when I first saw... Uh, Cosmo Studio on North Rampart Street, and that's when I met little Richard for the first time. The first thing I heard on Richard was slipping and sliding. Little Richard came flying through there, and it was just like uh, Richard was. When the door opened and Richard came in, the place got brighter. Seemed like the lights got brighter. Everything just happened. He found magic here, and he uh, knew where the magic was, and he'd come here and get it.
you see what I mean? I'm just going to fade it out early because Teens Take the Mic is on in a few minutes and I want to squeeze in one last song and say a goodbye. You all know this, right? Lady Marmalade has been covered by everybody. Anyway, Alan Toussaint wrote this and produced it with a New Orleans backing band. It happened to be no other than the Meters. Or bits of the meters, anyway. Definitely George Porter Jr. on that big, funky-ass bass. Uh, anyway, that is New Orleans black urban music. If you follow all black urban music to backwards, 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 its roots comes from New Orleans. New Orleans is about the pocket. It's about the groove. That is New Orleans. Pocket and groove city, 100%. It's all about the drum. Anyway, <laughs> if you have just tuned in, you've just missed sitting with Gianluca here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, I am Gianluca. I've been sitting with you since 6 p.m. Very gladly and happily to do so. If you um, have anything to say, good or bad, please get in touch. I reply all emails and um, Instagram stuff and everything. The Instagram is sitting with GT. Email is sitting with at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Sitting with GT Instagram. Uh, Tease take the mic uh, next. Sammy is waiting in the wings. Um, oh, I want to leave you with this from the bottom of my heart. I'm going to get back to Alan Toussaint as well. Or Toussaint, I think is the way it's pronounced. Um, I did interview him a few times. And I love this song. This is a song about togetherness. It's off one of his later albums. Uh, came out oh, a few years ago. One of the last ones he did. He died a couple of years ago. And... Um, it's about togetherness. It's called Yes We Can Can. It's about all being together. And in the words of the great New York funk band from the early 90s, Second Step, it goes like this. Hey, motherfucker, we're all one color. And if you're down with that, you can call me brother. See, sounds odd with my accent. I know, but I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to welcome you back next week. If you do, I want to welcome you to my Instagram, uh, emails, whatever. I'm truly grateful and touched that you have taken this last hour to spend with me. All of it or part of it, I'm touched. So I'm going to leave you with a great Alan Tucson and words to live by and words to aspire to. And this is Yes We Can Can. Listen and inwardly digest. Now is the time for all good men to get together with one another Iron out their problems and iron out their quarrels And try to live as brothers And try to find peace within without stepping on one another And do respect to the women of the world Just remember we all had mothers Make this land a better land in the world in which we live And help each man be a better man with the kindness that you give And I know we can make it I know that we can I know done well We can work it out Oh yes we can I know we can, can Yes we can, can Why can't we if we wanna Yes we can, can I know we can make it work I know that we can I know we can make it if we try Oh yes we can I know we can, can Yes we can Great gosh almighty Yes we can I know we can Boys and girls And make this land a better land And the world
I know that we can. I know darn well we can work it out. 